I've been in the book of Ephesians for a while now. Last week, um, I was in the chapter before the chapter that uh, Harold just read from. And a phrase that I beat around a lot last week was the phrase that may be familiar, speaking the truth in love. Well, when I was looking up that phrase um, in the Greek uh, before I preached, I saw that uh, it's really, the word was literally would be translated truthing in love. There was no notion of speaking, even though it might be speaking, but truthing in love, living or being or doing love. And not just any kind of love, but agape love. And agape love in Scripture is a kind of love that God has for us. It's a kind of love that is unconditional. It's the kind of love that goes with us always. It's the kind of love that God has for us, regardless of how we might respond to that love. In the first part of the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, over and over Paul lifts up what that love of God for us is all about. And in the last three chapters, Paul turns it back to us to say, okay, in response to what God has done, in response to this love, how are we to live? We are called to be people who are truthing in love, living and being and doing the agape love as God has shown us. And he continues with that same theme this morning. Be careful how you live, Paul says. I like the word diligent. Be diligent in how you live. Be focused in how you lived. And focused on what? On being people who truth in love. People who are embracing and sharing the love of God in all the places of life, in all of the times of life. Don't be as unwise people, but be wise, making the most of the time. The word time there is the word kairos. The kairos moment is the right now moment. Right now is the time to be a people who embrace and share God's love because if you do not embrace this moment in embracing and sharing God's love, if we don't do it now, we'll never get that moment again. Make the most of each of the times of life because we'll never have this time again. Understand what the word, what the will of the Lord is. I hear a lot of times people will say, or I've read it, about God's will. I want to know what God's will is for my life. And I think sometimes folks see that as there's this specific course of action that God has sketched out for us that we're supposed to figure out and go. Maybe I'm just simple, but I don't see it that way. I think God's will for us is shown us in Scripture and has shown us in the way of Jesus that God wants us to love God and to love all others. That is God's will for us. And as we embrace and step in loving in that way, we see opportunities open up more and more that we may even more so love God and love other people. I think that's what God's will is for us. Don't get drunk with wine, Paul says. I gotta admit, I've tried to avoid this saying of Paul's, because frankly, I've known to have had an adult beverage or two. And I must say, I've seen many lives that have been damaged. 
uh, constant abuse of alcohol, and not just alcohol, but any stimulant. I came across a study this past week from the University of Michigan. It examined people during the span of 1999 to 2016, and that study found that the number of deaths caused by liver disease, by cirrhosis, which most often happens through alcohol abuse, increased in that time span in every state but one. And unfortunately, Kentucky made the top five of states that had deaths resulting from cirrhosis. It's not a top five that we should want. And the most affected population were people aged 25 to 34. I read another report from the World Health Organization, and that article is called Intimate Partner Violence and Alcohol. And that report shows what most of us probably already know, that excessive alcohol use by a significant other in the home directly corresponds to increased financial difficulties, infidelity, and most likely an increase in violence in the home. And not only that, but children who witness such behaviors are more likely to grow up and engage in those same behaviors themselves. Folks, I promise I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer party pooper here, because indeed it would be a hypocritical of me to hear stand up and say that alcohol is bad and to preach against drinking. And I don't know that Paul is necessarily saying that. But I do think reliance on anything, including alcohol, to make our lives happy can very often have the opposite effect. In just the past couple weeks, I dealt with a situation of a, of a couple who were recently married. And one of the partners in the marriage did something really foolish to perhaps ruin that marriage and what started it on the way was some incidents of abusing alcohol. I think what Paul is trying to get at here is that the things in life that we may chase after in order to make our lives meaningful and joyful just may make matters worse. Abuse of alcohol, abuse of drugs, of whatever form. And I would also add, for those of us who aren't abusing those things, the abuse of resources. Maybe we might say that it's getting drunk and pursuing stuff. In other words, buying and getting and chasing after stuff, which becomes a never-ending pursuit because there's never enough. And the more we chase after all of these things to find meaning in life, we neglect the one thing that brings meaning to life, and that is participating in God's will, that we love God and love others, that we truth in love. Instead of filling ourselves with these things that might in the end destroy us, Paul encourages us to be filled with or filled by God's Spirit, Paul says that happens as we sing psalms and songs, as we sing and make melody to the Lord in our hearts. 
I think when Paul says to sing psalms here, he's referencing in part the psalms that we see in the Old Testament. The book of Psalms is known as the hymn book of the early church. And if you were ever to read the book of Psalms, you'd see that it runs the full gamut of emotions. Not just happy, joyful songs. Although I think many churches in their music, they want to make us forget about the things that make us sad and instead want us to just be happy. I have a friend of mine who says the music in many churches is just nothing more than happy, clappy Jesus music. Songs of joy and praise are important in life and in worship. But when Paul says psalms, I don't think he means to omit the songs that we can be honestly and open in our emotion toward God, speaking to the heartaches, sitting in our sorrows, even embracing the anger of our lives. Because all you have to do is just glance through the book of Psalms to see that it's not all joyful and happy. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Will you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Psalms crying out to God, where are you God? Even perhaps shaking a fist at God in anger. Where are you God? Be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, as we sing songs, as we pour out our emotions to God. And lastly, he says, giving thanks to God at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask, how can Paul say to give thanks for everything in life? Well, for one thing, I think there's a better translation of that word for. The word in Greek is uper. We get the word hyper from it, as in over, as in hypertension. Hypertension is having too much tension. So I think it might be to give thanks over everything in life. I don't think this means that we're supposed to be thankful to God for everything that happens. The sorrows, the sadness, the challenges, the awful times of life, the evil that comes. But I do think we're called to embrace the trust that God goes with us even in those times of life. God goes with us even in sorrow, even as we suffer. It's in the Psalms, including those Psalms that I just referenced. And as we give thanks to God more and more for God's presence with us, even in those hard times, the more we remember that that love and presence, the more we sense more and more God's call to us that we be a people who embrace and share that same kind of love, truthing in love. I've asked Rebecca to play a video for us in a moment. It's Aretha Franklin singing Amazing Grace. 
I found this out just yesterday. I read it in the newspaper out of the Atlanta paper that Aretha Franklin's most sold album was an album that she did early in her career of just gospel songs. None of the songs that made her famous are on that. Not um, uh, Respect or Think, which I like because that was in the Blues Brothers. And Natural Woman's not in there, even though I think David Whitaker might be singing that song for us as he grills hot dogs a little bit. So we'll have to ask him about that, see if he's going to sing that for us. None of those songs were on that album, but it was the most, the most album sold by Aretha Franklin. Now, we're not going to play the version that she sings on that album because it's like 11 or 12 minutes long. But instead, we're going to play a shorter version. And it's going to be that song, Amazing Grace. And I talked about how singing and making music stirs us and fills us and we be filled by God's Spirit. When that song plays now, I'm going to be thinking of my mom because my buddy James sang that song in mom's funeral service. I asked him to. And I think for some of y'all, there is a remembrance of a loved one who has passed away in the singing of that song too. But also in that song, there is the great expression of God's amazing grace and God's love for us that goes with us in times of sorrow, but also guides us into a future remembering that God does go with us. We need to sing and to give thanks to God. Amen. Now, Aretha. girl was with me.
That's just part of that song. If you want to hear the whole thing, I encourage you to get on YouTube and be blessed by it. For our hymn of invitation and commitment,